Shut the tapes you gave to me The black flag first four years in the mind of thread discography And punk rock saved my life What is up, Internet? Hey, Shakir, what's your desert island band? Oh, I'm, I'm glad you asked, man. I mean, I kind of, I really like Radiohead, but uh, I mean, I might go with the Wu-Tang. Ah, tell somebody who gives a shit. Mine's Frank Turner, by the way. And this is the only podcast about movies. My name is Matthew Kroll. And I'm still disappointed that nobody knows what my favorite band is, but I'm Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about the film Green Room. It's green and it's a room, so that's a color and a space. So, so welcome to your only movie <laughs> podcast about a your own personal color space. Yeah, the Color Space Podcast. Yay! Yay! I bet you there is one called that. We probably shouldn't. The color, but we are the only podcast about movies. And the only podcast about Green Room. Oh, there you go. So, yeah, that's great. Shahir, if, for people that aren't familiar with our little program here across the interwebs, what do we do here on the only podcast about movies? Well, I'm glad you asked, Matt. We are the <laughs> We're <only> selling cars <laughs> right now. We are the only podcast about movies. We searched far and wide, at least a solid 20 seconds on Alta Vista, and couldn't find any other movie podcast. If by searched on my part, you mean play Hearthstone. Yes, you right. played Hearthstone. There was no was, movie podcast on Hearthstone. And I was playing Half-Life, and we kind of looked at each other and said, is there another movie podcast? Uh, no. uh, <laughs> so we made one. Yay! We made a movie podcast because we are two filmmakers based in New York City. Uh, we work on short films, televisions, and occasionally feature films, which we're trying to get off the ground, but not really doing very well. So we like to bitch about other people's movies because wow. we're secretly that's jelly a, about it. That's no, 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 no. And it's true. <laughs> um, wow. No. <laughs> wow. We like to talk about movies, and we like to give you guys guys, our audience, one week to watch a movie. So if a movie comes out on April 29th, we will release the next week on the following Monday, and we will give you a one solid hour discussion about that movie with spo with a spoiler-free section and then with a spoiler section. But truth be told, you should watch the movie But we're before. hoping you've watched the movie. It's just in case if you if you kind of like want to catch up, there are a few people who are like who write into us who say, look, I just want to hear what your general impressions are. We'll give you that, and then we'll sure. go into some detail as yeah. well. So if you want to reach out to us, you can do that at uh, our Gmail address, which is OnlyMoviePodcast at Gmail, or on Twitter at OnlyMoviePod. And we love hearing from you guys. Do it! From Kartik Singh from Ooh. France, because I've met him before, and he's written into us before about The Hateful Eight. Okay. Hey, Kartik, we yeah. really like hearing from you. Thanks, buddy. Um, and he's writing to us about your great episode. Uh, if you haven't heard it yet, go back. It's uh, I was out of town, and so Matt Kroll brought in a heavy hitter to replace That's me. That's right. Who was it? Uh, it was my pappy. It was my dad. Your dad to review the classic John Carpenter film. Big Trouble in Little China. Big Stephen Kroll and Matthew Kroll fucking tag-teaming it up. Crawl, double the crawl. Yeah. Uh, and Kartik had this to say, Dear Matt, what a great idea you had. Uh, oh. He did, yeah. I rewatched this for the first time in 30 years off the basis of your podcast. Uh, so glad I did. I loved it. Carpenter is a genius. Do you think he's a genius? Or I kind of do. I kinda, I'm going to see his concert in July. He's doing a concert. Yeah, because he just released another album. He's a good. He's a good. And movie. I'd forgotten to how awesome Kurt Russell was and still is. Need to revisit your favorite movie, Escape from New York. If you don't yeah. know, Matt Kroll's favorite movie is Escape from New York. He has the costume. I've seen it. It's wonderful. Um, you and your dad summed it up best. This movie is so bad, but you can't stop watching it. Uh, I must say, not a lot of father-son teams could do a podcast episode together, and I think you did a terrific job. Shout out to Pappy Kroll. Well done. Well, let's have him back on the podcast. I think he still owes us a review of Kung Fury. He does. He does <laughs> owe us a review of Kung Fury. I actually, uh, I actually forwarded him that email, and it made him very, very happy. So well, thank you again. The one thing he might enjoy as well is like, and the one priceless moment was hearing your dad's New Hampshire pronunciation yeah. of Shahir's name, which he did the classic Shahir. He is not yep, here joke. Yep, I know, but you know, dad joke. It's fine. <laughs> made me chuckle. Uh, yeah. So thank you so much for writing in. It really means a lot. And please, guys, write us in. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. I mean, that was a compliment email we will read the bad ones yeah. if we get them absolutely so i mean if, if but at this point everyone loves us i know <laughs> i know no I, seriously if you have a problem with what we're saying one or both or all or none just fucking write us in and we'd love to hear from you um or hit us up on our uh facebook page which is getting slightly more active these days just well. slightly just slightly since just I gave with a hint of me and if you haven't listened to any of our podcasts yet first off you're nuts Second, wow. <laughs> second, uh, our personalities go somewhat like this. I am the obnoxious film film guy. I'm, I'm just gonna let that be known. I'm not arguing with that. Matt, on the other hand, how Matt? Do you would you describe yourself as the action movie aficionado? No, I mean I'd like to think I have a wide range. I just gravitate lately towards more of the 
<sighs> wow. Okay. I'm. I enjoy the people's film, Shahir. Right. I enjoy the <laughs> giant popcorn blockbusters that are kind of dummy food, and I also enjoy higher brow stuff when it comes across and it touches a certain nerve with me. So this, in a weird way, Green Room is kind almost a perfect encapsulation of you and me a little bit because this is ostensibly an action movie with a slightly. It's not like an action movie like say our marvel like a civil war or anything like that it is a it is a slightly more visceral and it, it, it's certainly more on the art house spectrum but do you want to describe what green room is about yes i do <laughs> it is about a uh punk band uh traveling the country doing it old school style none of this digital bullshit no, because uh, it's all about the experience. Yeah, because I think believe the band is called the This Ain't Rights. Um, the Ain't Rights and the, the Ain't Rights. rights. The, the Ain't Me Rights. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and uh, they went to go get a gig. That gig got canceled, but they did an interview with a guy who knew a cousin to get him another gig to sort of make it worth their while. I mean, this is to the point where they're like siphoning gas out of people's cars to get to shows. They're broke as fuck. Yeah, <laughs> um, a group of four. And, uh, yeah, they show up at this basically, uh, for lack of a better term, neo-Nazi bar to, yeah. to play a gig. And then shit goes down a hill. They describe it as a brass and boots kind of place. So, you know, skinheads with boots and, and know, brass. brass. Yeah. 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 No, keep talking about it. But uh, this is directed by, uh, this is his third film, but a, a Brooklyn filmmaker, Jer uh, Jeremy Saulnier. Yeah. Um, did you see? Now he's made three films at this point. Okay. He made a he made a first film called Murder Party. No, kind of. But that sounds right up my alley. <laughs> it's kind of a comedy serial killer, you know, murder party. Oh. Uh, and then uh, he made another film uh, two years ago called Blue Ruin. Another color. That space sounds film. familiar. Another color space film. Did so you the see next, Blue the next film should be Red Red something. Red uh, Red Sonia. Red Sonia. He should do the remake of Red Sonia. But Sonia's not a place. Uh, what well, could be? Uh, <laughs> oh God! Did you see Blue Ruin? I did not. Okay, so I saw Blue Ruin, and I got to meet uh, Jeremy Saulnier in that screening. Um, and if if you're a filmmaker uh, listening to this podcast, you should a go watch Blue Ruin, and b listen find any article about the making of Blue Ruin. Um, the it's 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 a pretty inspiring stuff uh and um the as far the, the way the story goes is uh Jeremy had made Murder Party and it had done you know it sold but it wasn't like a huge hit and, and it was kind of a comedy schlocky thing so he just kept on getting offers to do these kind of comedy schlocky thing and he was making and to make ends meet he was doing corporate videos which is something that you and I do yeah um and and so he'd still be doing all these corporate videos and but he decided at some point that I'm going to knuckle down and I'm going to make this film that it's I really want to ballsy wanna... move, Jeremy. Well, ballsy because he was just about to have his third kid. Oh, my God. And he and he used his wife's retirement fund plus his entire net worth to make this movie Blue Ruin. Um, and Blue and, and then the, the sort of couple of interesting things happened. One is it got, it, he made it and he was kind of happy with it. He submitted it to Sundance and it got rejected. So it's like every filmmaker's dream, you know, like oh. cash in your credit card, do whatever you got to do, make this movie, get it into Sundance. And it didn't happen. But then he decided to knuckle down and keep making the movie, like really work on the cut. Yeah. And he sent it to Cannes, to the Cannes Film Festival. And it got in. And not only did it get in, it won a major prize. And so suddenly this guy, this like local American filmmaker who'd been really just sitting his hopes high for, for Sundance was like the talk of t the town in France, you know, and, and basically uh. the, and as far as the Europeans, the Europeans gravitated towards Blue Ruin, maybe, and, and we'll get The into, name sounds very European. It sounds European, but basically Blue Ruin is, is a revenge film about a homeless man who finds out that, uh, the people that might have been responsible for his parents' death have been released from prison, and he decides to go and find them. And, it's Homeless Batman. Yeah, Homeless Batman. But it takes a real, and this is something we see in Green Room as well, which is that it takes a real uh, detailed look as, as to how that would work. Like, where would you get the guns from? What do you, you know, like, would you be bad at using guns? Like, you know, what if you were really terrible at, at like, executing a revenge sure. plan, which is what 90% of us would be like? So. Um, and the, you know, the thing is, is that, uh, Jeremy Solnia was a, a DP for corporate videos and the film was shot on a, on a Canon C300, which oh. is, um, you know, a stock standard kind of, uh, uh, prosumer camera, but it looked amazing. It was, it was beautifully cinematic and the film 
for a, although it was a sickened film, it was really kind of his first, like, this is me, who I am as a filmmaker yeah. kind of film. Um, it was a real, bra- ah, not breath of fresh air, but I guess it was like you were, you were witnessing the birth of a new major voice as a filmmaker. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and the way I would describe Solnia now having seen Green Room and Blue Ruin, and I, you know, we haven't gotten into Green Room yet, but I would, I would compare him, and I, I said this on Facebook as well, I feel like he's akin to, if not the, new Sam Peckinpah. Interesting. You're a Sam Peckinpah fan? Yeah, I mean, not like crazy fanboyish, but yeah, I like. Yeah, so like Sam Peckinpah to me is the guy who basically took westerns and and violence in cinema and gave it a soul, and I feel like that's what Jeremy Saulnier's entire thing is: is that the violence, like his films, you know, Blue Ruin and Green Room, are very violent, very, very bloody, difficult films, but they do something which I really appreciate, which is the violence hurts the violence feels visceral and yes. painful yes it's not violence that kind of like whenever someone kills someone in this film you know good guy or bad guy you know however you want to term it it feels like it fucking hurts yeah and, like, I, and it feels and it feels uh, and this is the way violence should feel especially yeah. in a movie like this it feels wrong yeah, it feels like you shouldn't be watching this. It, no, not even you shouldn't be watching it, that it shouldn't be happening. Yeah, like it, yeah. Whether it's a bad guy hurting a good guy or a good guy hurting a bad guy, like it's just always that you're like, Because the, the truth of the matter is, is that in our daily lives, we don't encounter much violence. Right. So, so to cheer at it in movies, you know, there's been a lot of different studies about that, uh, about whether it's cathartic because we don't experience it in real life. So to see it in movies or television helps us kind of, you know, essentially purge that instinct. Oh, the or, purge. It's coming out to here. <laughs> Boy, the other side of it is, uh, and there's a, f- a really good book called Carnage in the Media, which talks about how sanitizing violence is also a disservice to human beings. For you know, And the, the classic example is, is if, if, if more people saw what happened in war, we wouldn't go to war as much. Um, and I feel like this is, you know, Green Room and Blue Ruin are really good examples of cinema that shows us violence and its true form, which is that it is horrific right. and, and painfully horrific. Yeah. And I think that's something that Sam Peckinpah was really good at. You know, a film like Straw, Straw Dogs, for example, mm. is a film where violence feels wrong. Yeah. So, I mean, I liked, I definitely liked that in this movie. And that's just sort of an interesting side note on violence in cinema in general. Like, again, all the superhero stuff that I like, it's full of violence, but it's full of almost cartoonish. to the point of cartoonish yeah, violence. Yeah, it's like, it's like the anvil hitting someone on the head. But like, you know, and the most blood you'll see in a Marvel movie is maybe like, uh, you know, uh, yeah. some blood coming down someone's nose when they get beat up or like, you know, something along those lines. Um, yeah. And, and, and there, and I, you know, I think that can be great and fun. And, and I, there's certain violence in movies that I take pleasure in. Yeah. But then there's a point at which where you, you know, like I think if, for example, if children are only exposed to that, they can misinterpret how bad violence is. You know, like if, if all we see are war movies that celebrate soldiers, it becomes a problematic thing because we think that war is a heroic thing until someone goes to war and it's like the worst fucking thing on the planet. So in case you're not reading between the lines, Shakir is going to show his kid Green Room. Yeah, I, you know, uh, and, and honestly, honestly... I think I would. Yeah, well, I, let's, I mean, let's, there's ages. And, yeah. and again, maybe. I, not, I mean, he's only six months old, so I'm not going to show it to him right now. But like, I do, no, there's a point to that weird little joke that I made and that you sort of said yes to, uh, is that, yeah, th- I don't think cartoony violence is bad. I think it's, it helps stories in certain ways and it does alleviate a sort of pressure. But, you yeah. know, again, too much, again, my too much argument, it's yeah, the fucking it's, ice cream argument. It's going to fuck something up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it can I go do in any think, direction. I do think that we, for the amount that our society, American society, shields children from sex. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, that's the other fucked up but thing. Yeah. Exposes, exposes us to them to violence right away. Yeah, yeah. Violence is okay, but sex is not okay. Like, right. seeing a titty is just not cool. But so, like, in this film, like, you know, it's, it's violence in a gruesome sort of fashion. And I think, honestly, if we showed... 
not like children, children, but like kids that like maybe like a 14 year old that's going to see Marvel movies or like whatever the hell, like also allowed them to see this with an adult that explains things and talks things through with them, not just let them see it in a fucking vacuum like that in a weird way has a service. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it may not necessarily be this no, film. No, not this film. I'm just talking but, about but the but way violence that Saulnier uses violence is- He makes the violence, even though it feels wrong, it feels important. Where violence, for violence's sake, throughout most of media is just like, oh yeah, people get shot all the fucking time. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, someone getting shot on TV but we has need- no effect anymore. I know, and it's funny. And, you know, like, and, and the case, you know, that you just made as well, um, six versus violence, is that you know you can show someone being beheaded on screen, but basically, but you can never show a genital. If you show P and V G, uh, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, just remember the Janet Jackson Super Bowl. Oh uh, yeah, uh, scenario. But that's all getting aside the point. Sorry, we, I think I think we'll get back into off that. Off on we, the soapbox, <laughs> on to the movie. <laughs> uh, I think we'll get back into that when we start talking about the movie. So, but we've described the plot, Matt. Initial thoughts about uh, Green Room. Um, you I, just walked out of this movie. I like did like hours. six hours ago. Yeah. Um, I I saw it at the Bam Rose, which I it's I want to give a shout out to that because that theater consistently. I don't go there enough for living like twenty minutes walk from it. Like yeah. I always I live between the UA Court Street and the Cobble Hill Cinema. Uh, both mm. good cinemas in their own sort of way. But I always forget about this third amazing cinema. Cinema right down the fucking street. So, By the way, people have just pinpointed you on Twitter now. Yeah, like find, they've got your address and yeah, like they're coming to find yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, there's easier ways. Um, <laughs> but the uh, so the the film going experience. I know I've been talking about that a lot lately. Was good. Uh, it was nice, it, uh, and that's important because the, like the last few film going experiences it was, been it was so not, shitty. Was not pleasant for me. I, um, on the other hand, I think I, there was a kid in my movie. Uh, of course, yeah. Um, but uh, overall. Uh, I liked the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people should see it. I think if they, I think people should stomach the violence, and but like they should know going in, like that it. There, I mean, I don't turn away a lot. Yeah, I turned away once in this movie. I was like, whoa. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, it did sadly, and I need to stop this. And this is where I think for these sort of movies, it's it's less. You I, you don't watch trailers anymore. I know you don't. You texted yeah. me right before. You were actually texting me when you were going to see this movie right before yeah. it because you didn't want to watch the trailers. You're trying to distract yourself. <laughs> yeah. so you're sending me bitmojis and shit, <laughs> which is fine, and I appreciate it. But like this film in particular, I got actually not from a trailer. Like the trailer was fine. I think the trailer set it up fine. Didn't give me any expectations. I didn't you know yeah. false expectations. What gave me false expectations, and I should have known better, <laughs> and I think part of me did was. I kept seeing even on like Instagram advertisements and like internet things. Cause again, that's where I get most of my ads now. It's like Patrick Stewart is the most terrifying presence in cinema since whatever the fuck. And you're like, Oh wow. And just constantly being like Patrick Stewart will never see him the same Patrick Stewart, Patrick Stewart, Patrick Stewart. And I love Patrick Stewart. I'm an, I'm a next gen kid. I love everything he's ever done. I I love, (laughs) I, I, I think he's easily one of the most talented actors out there. So I, in my little kid brain, was like, yeah, like I'm psyched to see Jean-Luc Picard or Patrick Stewart as a bad guy and like a bad guy with conviction and like to be actually because he's older now. So to be terrifying, there needs to be like a presence and a power. And that's what he's as an actor. He's got presence. Yeah. So you just want to see him in the right role. So uh, but then going to see this movie. um, Something felt off and it wasn't him or his performance or anyone's performance per se. Cause I think the acting, we can talk about that in a little bit was very good. Yeah. Um, I feel like the story itself, the actual script mm-hmm. was where the importance faltered for me. I had characters that were probably the actors were getting great direction from the filmmaker uh, to do to have these emotions and to do these things for these reasons, but a lot of times I feel like the story didn't quite dictate the level of which either big or little that they were reacting to things. For instance, again, I, I, and maybe this is a mixture of the marketing too, because the marketing told me I'm supposed to be scared of Patrick Stewart. At no point in the film mm-hmm. am I ever scared of Patrick Stewart. Yeah. Uh, the the the, the neo Nazis that sort of uh, that they go up against in this film. Like, because of reasons sort of like when, while we'll get into, but there's reasons why they can't just go in guns blazing. Mm -hmm. So like, they're already neutered from being scary a little bit to me. Right. Like they've already something, excuse me, 
before shit hits the fan in this film, um, the band goes up on stage to play their gig and they start with a dead Kennedy song. Um, fuck, fuck you Nazi. What is it? Uh, uh, uh yeah. Fuck you punk. Oh, no, like- Nazi punks. Fuck off. Yeah. And, um, all the neo-Nazis and there's a couple main characters like glaring at them and they're all throwing beer bottles or whatever. And then they just play their, that first song and they keep going on their set and they win back the audience. Right. Yeah. Uh, because their music's good. So, but like, to me, I was like, Oh, that's going to be, that's going to play a part. Like that's going to be part of this, this story. Yeah. Like they literally flicked off a bunch of Nazis and I mean, yeah. And that's a brave fucking move in that sort of situation. (laughs) But I expected that move to come back and bite them in the ass. Mm -hmm. Turns out because of story, that move has nothing to do with anything. Yeah. And there's a lot of those sort of bits where like important things you're like, Oh, this is important. Not isn't. Yeah. And the story keeps going. Yeah. And that's not to say that I, I, I don't, I don't want to just come out the gate being like Meh, problems. Cause for the budget and everything else, the cinematography is great. I think the acting is great. I think most of the characters, sometimes it's hard to sort of pull off like the main guy in the band yeah. Uh, feels yeah, yeah feels different from the girl, but then the other two guys sort of feel similar to each other. Yeah, um, all of the Nazis bleed together, with the exception of the sort of manager of the place, right? May, uh, who was uh, played by Macon Blair, yeah. who was um, the lead in Blue Ruin. Oh, great! Yeah, yeah. and who happens to be Solnier's best friend? I there think. you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so like, he gets the kind of meat of the film. But there's well. a, there's a, there's an intrinsic problem with your story when I can see that the acting and the directing is wonderful and yeah. it's very skilled, but yet I don't remember characters' names and I see characters bleed into each other. Right. Like uh, then then why like if if that's happening across the board, you have too many fucking characters. Yeah. So I started having a problem with that, but again, then the ultra violence hits in and snaps me back into like fuck, this is important. Yeah. So I was coming back and forth. I was sort of wish-washing. And again, I, 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 I hate to sort of cringe my, my thought about it on it, but it's like they should not have made this Patrick Stewart's movie in the, in, in the advertising. In the advertising. Because it's not. It's not his movie. No. Um, and he's competent in it, and he's fine in it, but like don't set me up, man. Because that's going to – I feel like if I didn't see that, I would have had a better reaction to a great piece of work. Yeah. But because of that, I can't I – can't, tear my brain away from it and, and that's it's weird to say like that's my fault like the part of the interaction of the watcher of a film versus the creator of a film yeah but like something on your end poisoned me to do that and yeah. it's not the creator's fault it's the fucking marketing's fault right right and it's my fault well um look i i actually kind of pretty much 99 percent agree with what you're saying and i think and i don't think it's to do with marketing i think i you know like i had i had a similar experience to you um and I hadn't seen a trailer, but I kind of felt like Patrick Stewart's character was not correctly set up as the antagonist of the film in the way that I feel like it should have been set up. Yeah. But before we go into further problems, which I, I do agree with what you're saying. I do. I do. And I completely see what you're saying. I, w- I want to preface that by saying that this is a masterfully made film. And this is made by a filmmaker with a clear vision with real talent who is trying to make serious movies about violence, about characters undergoing profound change. And I think, and I think the thing with blue ruin that was great was that he touched upon a kind of slice of Americana. Uh, this is what the, the, you know, when he won the major prize at Cannes, that the thing that they were all talking about was that it felt like someone had touched upon gun violence in a way that felt very authentic gotcha. and, and was very analytical. And from the very first opening of this film, I was kind of like, wow, I'm in a world that I don't know anything about. I know I, a little bit about it. Yeah, but I felt like this filmmaker was really committed to this world. And 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 Saulnier himself, I think, was part of like a punk band back Yeah, in, and you can tell. Like, yeah. that's the other thing, too. This is a, someone making a story about a punk band that mm. knows about punk bands. Yeah, exactly. And it, But it also feels... You know, like, it's not like he's just kind of paying lip service to punk and he's not, like, trying to be punk. He's making a good movie. He's making a movie. So, you know, first and foremost. So it feels like the characters are well-written. The dialogue is really interesting. They do this amazing, like, the opening scene is basically, and so this isn't a spoiler for anyone listening in, is that they uh, a person wakes up in a van and we see the van has crashed through like a cornfield. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's a really what's cool about it as from a writing point of view, and he's a writer, he's the writer director, is that it sets up 
and gives us information without showing them like crashing through the cornfield. Yes, we yes. kind of like we're just seeing the and we have to piece it together. And so those moments are sprinkled throughout, and when they hit, I love them. Oh, I think the first uh, 10, 15 minutes, you know, up until the point where the actual title of the film becomes important. Um, you know, and it's no spoiler, basically this punk band gets holed up in the green room of this venue. Basically in a standoff with the neo-Nazis. Kind of like a panic room sure. such scenario. When up until that point, this is just a fantastic film. I was loving every minute of it. I thought it was uh, masterfully made. And I was, and what, what impressed me was that Solnier had like gone from his first low-budget film to a bigger film, but retained the thing that made his low-budget film great. Well, it felt small, but it, it felt it felt like a complete world, just yeah. a small one. Yeah, and he'd, cre he'd created a full world. So I was I was very impressed by that. So, I, you know, I want to preface everything. And we're talking about a different kind of film. Like, even if we were talking about, like, a film that, it, like, you know, you do that IMDb or Netflix recommendation thing, which is like, if you liked this movie, you might like okay. this movie. And like, you know, the pitch to get you into Green Room is like, it's like um, Panic Room, but with neo-Nazis or something, you know, like if, it, but, but this is not Panic Room. Panic Room. Yeah, I wouldn't really put it. But it, it's in that sort of, but Panic Room is a complete escalation, kind of doesn't feel like the real world. This feels like a real gritty world. Now, the thing that you're talking about is that, and I listened to an interview with Solny about this film, and he has this one rule um, which is, I think, a really good screenwriting role. Um, but it, I think it kind of bites this film in the wrong way, which is that his rule is that when characters speak to each other in a film, it should feel like they're speaking to each other. Yes. It shouldn't feel like they're speaking to the audience and giving, and giving us exposition. And it shouldn't feel like they're aware that they're in a movie. I think that's a huge sin. Film scripts all the time being like, if you and I were doing a movie mm -hmm. right now of this podcast, I would say, Shakir. Yeah. This is what I did today. And you'd be like, Matt, that sounds really crazy. I'd be like, Shahir, I know for the first time. So it bounces characters back yeah. and forth. But, but like, a awful. Re but a real scene would be like, we just kind of. We're just talking up, because we, we know each other. Yeah, we pick and up. How to call each other our names would betray the, 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 the yeah. time of which we've known each other and betray the sort of character. Exactly. So his rule is, and, and you know, he's, he admits he it's, breaks rules. It's a good rule. It's a good rule. But, but in, th in this film in particular, he doesn't I, do it in other ways. Well, it's again, I think that rule works so well up until the actual hook of the film kicks in, which is that these guys get holed up in a green room and we're not exactly sure why. And then things, plot machinations start happening where in the way that we've just described, we don't really know or understand why things are happening for a very, very long period. But I don't ever feel like the reveal of why things are happening actually satisfactorily gives us a payoff in this film. And I, and I've, and, and, and the, the thing that you talked about with Patrick Stewart is that Patrick Stewart is teased and he, he's brought on into this film as like the big bad. Yeah. And, and he's certainly in charge of what's happening, but we don't know why it's happening. And we never, and, and, and although we can kind of piece it together by the end, it's not really clear to us why it's happening. Like I still have a lot of questions about why, this all went down the way it did. I mean, so, so uh, before we get into like real spoiler sure. talk, I, you know, I do want to, yeah, I just wanted to clarify that this is an amazingly made film, but it has, it has this problem to it. And it's quite a big problem. And I think it'll be a, a big problem for people to, to actually get through this film. Well, again, it goes, it goes back to mm -hmm. the things I say about like when a movie does something like does 90% of its shit. And normally it's a lot of times for me, it's like 90% of the movie then doesn't stick the landing. This is not that problem. Yeah. This one has still 90% greatness sort of to it, but there's little pieces of it that sort of, you're like, no, 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 yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no. And, 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 and I, I understand why you're prefacing that, Jir, because I know, like, this. Well, the reason is, is because I would rather see a film be ambitious and fail. Yes, that's yes. the difference. Yes, um, and it, it is so interesting because you take films that, like, we really like most of, but I feel like it's just more of a passionate conversation, and I feel more strongly. Like, if I didn't give a shit about this movie, I'd just be like, "Yeah, it wasn't that great," and I wouldn't talk about it. We wouldn't do a show about it, and, yeah. and that'd be that. Yeah. Uh, but like, I feel like. There's so much here to like that the fallacies of it, while I do think kind of breaks it a little for me, isn't the end all be all. So that's they're, sort they're of major, they're major enough for me to 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 bring it up though in in like in agreement with you, right? Like it's not just like a little thing. I think 
I, you, yeah. you encapsulated it great. I'd rather see a movie try something and not quite hit the mark than just play it safe 100% of the time. And that's coming from someone who loves safe movies. Yeah, yeah. So, like, this movie tried something, it shot for something, and it almost hit it. Anyway, uh, should we get into spoilers just to try I, to go I think through? We should, I think we should get specific. It's okay. A, because we're talking about a lot. So there's this guy does, who does this thing, and they're trapped in this place, and they want this stuff, but they don't know what's going to... Yeah, no. Okay, so spoilers starting now. Ding. Uh... So they play their show, and now I had mentioned how they started with that neo the 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 anti Nazi song from the Dead Kennedys. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's gonna spurn something. But then like the the show ends, they're getting paid, everything's fine, they're about to leave, and then Sam, the girl played by uh what the hell's her name, Ali uh, Shaka Shaka Shaka. I thought it was Imogen. Uh, no, I'm not too sure. uh, but she's from Arrested Development. She's but and she actually oh. in this movie has that sort of um that Jennifer Grey look to her now. I never saw that when she was in Arrested Development, but Jennifer Grey from like Dirty Dancing and yeah, like all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, she yeah. sort of has that. I don't know. I, I was instantly reminded of. Her. I was like, oh, yeah. um, but uh, she the 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 problem of this film does not come from the fact that they basically f- said fuck off to their entire audience base of Nazis. Yeah, but that she forgot her phone in the green room. Yeah. This is where it starts. So like, she she goes back like I'm just, no no but but the, the problem I have with this is you've set up a couple different ways where this could go south for them, but yeah. it turns out to be and this is a choice I understand. Uh, just like a, an innocent sort of thing that she comes back or the guy goes to get the phone for her. And again, I didn't I didn't mind that. I don't I don't mind that. And I, then I, and then again, that's a minor minor hiccup yeah. for me. And then uh, he witnesses a, a murder having just happened yeah. uh, of an of a girl he saw in the audience. Uh, and sort of a bunch of dudes and a chick standing around a girl stabbed in the head. Yeah, and it's what's weird. So, like, I, I don't mind that sit-up. I think that's actually, it's actually pretty good, and it's kind of interesting, you know, like, that he would just stumble into this. You sure. know, like the, and the way he, again, the way he films this is kind of interesting. But, but it's, my problem has to do with, so you're basically walking into a room where there's a girl stabbed in the head a dude standing there angrily and another woman crying and some other people. And my problem is, is by the end of this film, I'm still a little, I I kind of know what happened before the dude walked into the room, but I'm still a little unclear as to why it happened and all the subsequent actions that happened. Cause basically what happens from here on in is that, okay. Anton Yelchin's character, Pat, who's the uh, bass player in the band. Sure. Um, stumbles upon this thing and then all of a sudden the owners of this venue decide to like lock them into the green room call in the cavalry the you know led by patrick stewart darcy who owns the club who on how to handle it on how to handle it and they enact this like crazy crazy big plan to like basically kill everyone in the green room and I'm but like, not in the green room. It needs to like look like it's somewhere. Basically, mm-hmm. they're playing. This is okay. You know what? See, this is the interesting part. This is the part where if it was done entirely well, I I applaud. Yeah. Because so much you have these big bad guy movies where it's just sort of like they just want to murder the people no matter what and don't think about the consequences. Yeah. This is something where like there's a lot of consequences. You find out about them I think too late in the story, but there's a lot of consequences as to why like okay. We can't shoot them and they can't shoot us. There can't be any more bullets done, whatever. So it's yeah. blades only because we need to make this look like it happened down the road. And because of this, that and the other thing, yeah. because we don't want to bring police attention to to the to the establishment. And yeah. you don't know why. And even to the point where when the kid, uh, the bass player sees the murder, he instantly dials his phone as he runs away before they throw them all back in the green room and calls 911. Mm. The manager of the of the mm. place, very clever move. Yeah. Calls 911 or 911 calls back. He's like, hey, we were disconnected. Sorry, there's been a stabbing. And you're like, he's telling them that? Yeah. And then he pays some punks in the parking lot to stab each other to be the stabbing. That's great. It's great. Yeah. And and it makes you go, oh my God, how they now, how how is our band, uh, the, the our heroes of the movie, yeah. seems really gonna get out of this. Yeah. So it's 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 cool stuff. But the problem I have is, and I guess in my brain, I can kind of piece this together. But the problem is, is I have to piece it together and it's not that satisfying to me because the question I have is like, what, why did, why did the cavalry need to come in to kill the band? Like what was so Here's important? Here's why to, I think. I, and I, yeah, I have a theory oh, oh, as well. Do you want to go? Uh, no, no, go ahead. You t- you tell I was just going to say, because at the end of the day, they paint these, these, not these neo-Nazis as fucking yokels. And there's only one smart guy, maybe one and a half in the entire group. One being the leader, Patrick Stewart. Yeah. And they, they're like, fuck, 
we don't know what to do, shit. And then they call in their boss who brings more people who then has to be like, okay, fuck. All right, this is this list. But why, you know, and the reason, the question is, is he, got, he immediately starts formulating this elaborate plan, like this elaborate, this is how we're going to make it look, this is how it's going to work. And to the point where I think like, he's about to drop $20,000 to pay people to like clean the situation up in a way that's like really elaborate. And I'm like, okay, that's cool for the movie machinations to kind of do that. But, and, and I think the reason, and I think the reason is, is that this whole bar, this neo-Nazi bar, um, is a front for a heroin operation. Right. Which you find out later, which, which you find out later. But I'm like, surely, sure. Like the person who murdered the, the person who murdered the woman in the room, did, what we find out later is they did it as a as a crime of passion. Well, she said she was leaving. She said she was leaving, and he found out about it. He was like her boyfriend or something like that. No, he wasn't her boyfriend, was he? Oh, maybe I, he was. Maybe he was. I don't, I don't know. know. Not clear. It's not clear. Um, and and it was like a crime of passion. But like this crime of passion, like suddenly escalates instantly into the, like this elaborate conspiracy theory. Like we need to like. Well, I think murder. it escalates. It escalates because if you know they were killing one of their own, no yeah. one's really going to miss the girl they killed. Yeah. Whereas now it's a bunch of people that have places to be. They kind of do talk about that. They like look through their cell phone, and Patrick Stewart's like, "Okay, we need to figure out where they were, where they've been, you yeah. know, and where they're going but it's to like, go." That's a huge thing. And again, like, why not just sell out the? You know, like, I, I'm not clear as to why the guy who did the murder in the first place, who, who says the creepiest line in the film. Oh, about he, he he's like, hey, as he's walking out when they yeah. first throw them back in the green room, he goes to the bass player, he's like, what was the name of your second to last song? And they're like, oh, whatever the fuck it was. Yeah. He's like, that's toxic, hard shit. Toxic something. Toxic something or yeah. other. He goes, that's some hard shit, man. That's a song I did or two. Yeah, and that's like fucking And you're crazy. like, oh. oh. And that's such, a, that's such a great piece of writing because that, like, it, it instills so much insecurity in our main characters because A, it's a terrifying thing to say. Yeah. B, it's like, am I the reason this happened? Yeah. It's, that's, that's amazing. That's yeah. great stuff. But it's like, I'm kind of like, well, why not just sell? Like, this guy doesn't seem like he's integral to the whole thing. Why not just, A, if, you, if you're going to go... Why don't just sell that guy down the river? Like, like, why don't just like turn him over to the cops? Say well, this think, is a crime of passion. I think and the just difference. Be done with I it. think the difference is instead uh, they like. Well, no, to, a it was okayed. Yeah. I think through the through their organization. And B, this is hold on. This is a. And again, this is me gleaning and trying to make excuses for yeah, the yeah. film. Yeah, yeah, we're we're trying to like figure it out. Uh it's it's a brotherhood, right? Yeah. Granted, they're neo Nazis, but they actually have a sense of brotherhood and order, and the whole red laces thing, which is when you've actually graduated to being a full fledged member of this brotherhood, you get to wear red shoelaces, and, yeah. and one of the characters gets them by the end, and yada yada yada. But I don't think they're in the the business of selling out their own, unless that person says they're leaving. Hence, girl gets stabbed. Right. So I don't. I think. Brotherhood trumps smarts here. Right. Um, it feels like that should be established more or in the film. Yes. Yeah. But I and feel it's like kind of there. It's kind of there. But I'm also gleaning that from sort of like other media that I've seen about Nazis and even to the point of cults, depending on what it is, yeah. who, sure. you know, what what is important. And normally in those situations, it's the people who are involved in that specific group that are the, the priority. Yeah. Um, but 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 like you said uh, in your uh, opening piece, um, for every minute that that like I was still interested in the questions, like that that this film was forcing me to ask in my brain right. through the whole thing, and then and, and there would then be like suddenly a piece of like something visceral would happen that would just snap me right back into this movie, and and they're and again they're really well done. My problem happens around the final third of the film yep. where the film takes kind of a big jump to, you know, and it happens in any kind of like home alone or. Passion. Well, that's what I was going to say. It becomes home alone. Yeah. It, it, it happens. Not like traps and things, but, but, but basically our heroes are cornered and they decide they, they themselves, you know, like we're after many of them dying, after many of them dying, there's two left in real stupid ways. And I'm sorry, I want to get to, but we're sort of jumping forward. Yeah, so yeah. I just want to say they keep trying to get out of the room mm. and failing different ways. And then there's violence and they normally lose members and there's dogs that are hunting mm. them. That they've trained to like attack people, yada, yada, yada. So they, but they always retreat back to the green room, which 
I guess is okay, and I could sort of see the mentality, but it's still the same mentality that I have a problem with all these movies of running up the stairs. Killers in the house run up the stairs. But I got to be honest with you, like the whole thing that the film establishes is that there's no- Where else are you going to go? I know, I know. But the problem is, okay, so the the, the issue that, that becomes problematic narratively for me is that towards the final third of the film, Anton Yelchin, um, Pat, and I think it's Imogen Poots who's the last uh, girl. It's not Emily. It's um, I don't remember. Right. But the Amber. friend of the girl who was murdered. Yeah, yeah, basically decide to make a stand, and they do it in 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 a way that's like movie cool. You know, like they basically paint their faces. They do it punk version of movie cool. Yeah, and like and suddenly Anton Yelchin had time to shave his hair, and like you know, but. But it's not for any real reason. Well, it is. It's not a good reason. Here, look, here, this is something that they, they do establish. This they in the resonated film. with me because the one thing this movie did that was fun was like it took sort of normal movie tropes and always interrupted them in yeah. a weird way. Yeah. Down to like that. The the main kid, uh, the bassist, is now like telling his like inspirational story to the group, trying to get like, them yeah. to go, and then they just like cut him off mid sentence, and they all try to get out anyway. A bunch yeah. of them die. They end up back in the green room, and the girl who he's still with is like, "I want to hear the rest of the story." Yeah. So the story he told was about paintball, and yeah. it's funny because that's one thing out of this entire yeah. movie, other than the slight punk scene, that I can relate to. I've played yeah. a lot of paintball, and the story he he says is a actual thing, and this is so funny because it snapped me right back. I've been in that situation in paintball before. Right. It's where you go up against people that are actually trained in paintball or the military or whatever, and you, you're you instantly put at a disadvantage, and they just go out there and they slaughter you. They yeah. just destroy you at this game of war Yeah. until the end of his story where he's like, so we just decided to not basically don't not play, by don't the play the game by the rules. Don't be smart. Don't be coy. Don't be do whatever. Just be fucking crazy, which is a very punk sort of aspect to it it ties it together i've done that i've gone out on paintball fields before and had that exact situation where after a while i started doing this thing i used to call the terminator in paintball where (laughs) i would literally just walk slowly walk slowly (laughs) pick my shots and just shoot and it's amazing how often that works against yeah. people that are not ready for it yeah 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 so totally when this happens in the movie and they but sort that's of, not what they do well, he, they start to, and again, this movie's full of starts and then never finishing things. Like, so the when the when the finally the neo Nazis are allowed to go in with guns because things are falling apart, while Patrick Stewart and his other guys go up the road with the van and the other dead bodies to try to like make a scene somewhere away from the club. Yeah. Um, the the two sort of bumbly brothers go in there with guns and they look around and they open the door to the green room and they see standing over the hole the shaved head bassist kid. And he's just saying nonsense. Yeah. And he's like, what? And then he says, like, it's what Odin would do or whatever the fuck he says. He says Odin himself. And he jumps down the hole. Odin himself. He he drew on his face a Sharpie like these weird war paint things. Now, we've established that these yokels are dumb. But but they're not that dumb. If their order is go in and shoot them. Yeah. And the kid's back is to them when they open the door. Why not just shoot him or shoot him when he turns? I, I just don't understand how what Anton Yelchin does is a manifestation of don't play by the rules, go fucking crazy, and and you know and just go nuts. I, it doesn't feel like that. It feels well, it, he, it feels more like he's actually playing what the you know because he's talking about these green berets or what the military mi- would military, do. He's yeah. causing a distraction, and again, that sort of goes back to I mean, what what you should do in any sort of combat situation. My understanding is do what the other person isn't expecting that won't get you killed. Which so, is, I guess he does. Yeah, yeah. So he jumps down the hole into the meth lab that they found, and he he bangs around and makes a bunch of noise, and the guys realize it's a trap, and but they still go down. Once they're separated, the girl who is hiding in the couch, which I didn't see coming, I thought that was very nice. Yeah, uh, comes up and she's fucking she's uh, fucking Picasso with a box cutter in this movie. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Yeah. This that, there's one scene with her in a box. That's the cut. one I turned away. Yeah, and I was like, like when that when that scene happened, I was like, oh yeah. god, you know, like I and that's the and I did appreciate that that had that yep. reaction to me. Yep. So uh, that you know, she kills the one guy. There's a big battle, and they're counting bullets. And there's a clever thing in there where it's funny. They they start counting the bullets wrong on purpose. Yeah. And then the guy doesn't have enough bullets. And then like, it's, it's really well done. But then, but, but my problem is that suddenly Pat, the bassist is, is an action movie here. Right. And he's already got his hand fucking mauled. Yeah. Yeah. But he's hanging off, but yet he's fine. And he's also a great shot, you know? And, and it's, I mean, for the most part, and you know, like it's that thing where it's like, you know, because the question in this film 
could trade in is like, what would happen when an ordinary guy picks up a gun? And in this case, he becomes a movie. He becomes an action movie star. So and, yeah, and, at and, that and, point, every every sort of like every man you've set up goes away, and that happens in films constantly. And I think it's an ease factor. It's how do we get to this point? Like, because how else? But I think it would have been better had they played him out to be dumber, or not yeah. dumber, but like worse at yeah. at shooting a gun or doing the shit than he was, because because the yokels, the guys that were hunting them, were so bad at their job too. Well, yeah, and and but then the problem that really happens is that all of that of him transforming to this other person, this kind of like person in control who understands how to like get things done, who says the right you know lines when yep. when he needs to, is that it undercuts Patrick Stewart's character Darcy. Oh, that's who, his who, name. Yeah, who kinda, again? Who goes away basically? Now here, but again, it's the the preface that I set up at the beginning. What's cool about everything I've just said, like I know I've kind of illustrated it as a problem. What's cool about everything I've just said, or, you know, like the things that I've described just happening, and if you've seen the film, you should have by this point, is that it does feel like something I haven't seen before. It does feel kind of like, oh, this is really a different way of doing this movie. Yes. But is it successful I'm not entirely sure. Well, it's not 100 percent successful. It's it's successful on some some many sort of things. I think the small callbacks that it does uh, is are really really fun. I think that they and 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 they work in very interesting ways. For instance, like the uh, the the speech getting cut off and like going back to the speech, or even things along the lines of like uh, the running a desert island band gag or the yeah, red laces, which we, which we open the show, or, with. or or the dogs, the dog. Uh, the sort of relationship that they, the dogs had with their hound master yeah, who yeah. eventually meets his end. And the dog, one dog gets away and you think it's going to come and attack the the people, the the kids, the two kids yeah. still left hiding. And it just walks right by and goes and lies down on its dead master. Yeah. And like. That's lovely. Yeah. yeah. So like there's moments of great, like there's moments of and that's a, greatness in here. But that, that's, it, it falls into the, the second the character gets, it falls into two problems. The second the character gets a gun, they become an action hero. Yeah. And it falls into, again, I feel like from a story structure, not that the dialogue is bad, the dialogue is wonderful, yeah. but from a story structure writing standpoint, not everything adds up the way that it should in a story that moves forward naturally. Yeah, and it's, it's you know, because I was talking about, like, if you like this film, you might like another film, and and the thing, the other film I can think of is Straw Dogs, the, the, the Pick and Pa film. Yeah. And the Pick and Pa film has that similar thing, which is that, Dustin Hoffman's character suddenly becomes Kevin McCauley from from Home Alone. Right. You know, Kevin like McAllister. McAllister. Sorry. Macaulay, Come on. Macaulay Culkin. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's yeah all right. Yeah. For all is forgiven. <laughs> you know, but but in in Straw Dogs, I felt like I understood that transition kind of clearly. We we understood the the pressure points that are applied to Dustin Hoffman's character that lead us to that point. Yeah. Whereas the pressure points that lead to Anton Yelchin, Pat's character becoming this guy seem so tight, confined, and so like rat-a-tat-tat that I'm like, whoa, would you act, like, I feel like this character legitimately and would be fine to just shut down, sit in the corner of the room and cry until he's dead. Yeah. You know, like, because cause it's like, there's so much terrifying shit happening to him. So it's it's a weird, like, it's a weird backhanded compliment. Yeah. In, in a weird way, because the film sits up this character so well and I kind of do want to see him get through this but and then and then and then it kind of hits him with so much stuff that's terrifying that that but I don't quite buy his transformation perfect example where his character worked and his transfer his transformation was sort of coming when he rescues the girl he eventually gets away with from the dog in the main stage yeah to get the, the dog oh, off that's a great scene. he does now this is totally believable because he's doing things that have to do with his skill set in life yeah he realizes that the dog's gonna freak out when it hears feedback so he puts a microphone up to an amp Brilliant. And the dog Brilliant. freaks out and runs away. Yeah. But then the weird thing happens is when the dog freaks out and runs away, the idiots with the fucking blades and everything who are controlling the dogs also run away. Right. Yeah. And I was like, uh, so one great thing happened and then like another, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, no, no. But, but, but it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a story moment that makes sense to me because that's something that he knows would work. Yeah, yeah. And that's, it's such a great like character moment. But then the final moment with the, with the coloring of the face, the shaving of the hair, the the Odin himself, and then, you know, it just doesn't feel like the skill set that this character has. Right. And then, you know, it becomes the other problem, which is that you had with the marketing, which is that Darcy 
eventually doesn't become part of this film. Anymore. He does one sort of kind of badass thing near the very end before he meets his end. Yeah. Uh, and it's when they all have them, they've gotten out of the place and they're down the road and they confront Darcy and the hound master at the, um, at the scene of the crime that they're sort of building to make it look like it was all the band's fault or whatever yeah. off the premises. Um, where they're like, you know, you're, we're not going to shoot you or something. They're like, whatever, like, well, they, I don't even remember what the dialogue was at that point, but they eventually shoot the hound master. Yeah. The girl does. Cause she's kind of crazy. We've determined that. Yeah. Uh, and then at the end of it, Patrick Stewart doesn't think they're going to shoot him for some reason. Yeah. And, and like walks away, turns around and walks away, and which is a badass moment. And then he turns around to shoot a gun, but then they plug him and they give it, they get a headshot on him. Yeah. And I'm like, you've just, you've just spent all this time in this movie showing how violence is so real and hard. Violence is not only hard to look at, but hard to kind of do. Yeah. And now these fucking kids are getting headshots with, with pistols. Yeah. Like, and that to me, again, you can get a headshot with a pistol. It's fine, but it does take some training. And this kid acted like before he didn't know how to use a gun. Oh. No one wanted the gun when they were back in the green room near the beginning of this movie. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a couple There's a couple small sort of things like that. But, I mean, again, I don't want to keep shitting on it. I feel like that's what I've been doing. Like, I guess, I mean, we've been, wow, we've been talking about this for about 50 minutes, buddy. I mean, look, I because I do, I do fundamentally, like, it's that thing, which is that I would rather see an ambitious film and it's not, and and this is not ambitious in in scale. It's ambition in terms of like, it, it storytelling is, and how violence is perceived. I think. Yeah, storytelling. Uh, but I, even that, I don't know if that's like the the ultimate aim of this film. The ultimate aim of this film is to tell, is to build a world and to tell it from the inside out. You know, like we we're kind of getting a sense of how these neo Nazis work. And and there is something like I, I'm not actually clear on what the cover up was because Patrick Stewart says something towards the end, which is like, you shouldn't be, you know, everyone should stop doing that dope. There's some real bad inward shit going around. And then we see one of the, one of the, one of the neo-Nazis shooting up heroin. And I think he's probably died or overdosed. So we're getting the sense that again, I'm piecing this together. So I'm probably wrong. Write us in and tell me if I'm completely wrong about this. Only movie podcast at Gmail. <laughs> but, but I'm getting the sense that that Darcy is a neo-Nazi through and through who is, you know, like really wants to start a race war or something like that. This, and he's putting out heroin that is going to kill people. Right. But let, check this out. This shot scene when he says that and he drops the N-word, I was like, oh, this is the scene where we find where, where we, it's essentially we, that Patrick Stewart's character is a racist. Well, we've known that all along. We've yeah. known that all along. And he hasn't done anything like, again, he hasn't. He hasn't done anything scary. He's called some shots, but then none of them have been particularly scary. His lines were never, he was always just very calm and like, oh shit. Like the, the stuff that bothered me was the sort of everything was all business. Yeah. Now I, I get it. He's, he's, look, he's handling that situation in his world the right way in a weird oh, way. And, and, and but it's all business. There's not like, it, it just didn't, nothing felt personal and maybe that's the statement like uh, the violence isn't personal in this no it's not because he i mean he, he's just met this guy these yeah. guys he doesn't know them and i and i i the, there's like a negotiation scene behind a closed door where anton yelchin is elected to be the leader the spokesperson for the group and he's speaking to patrick stewart on the other side of the door and they basically go through this like elaborate negotiating process where like where patrick stewart is like i want that gun out of the room because it's unregistered and anton yelchin is like all right, I, if you, I will give you the gun if I, you give me a phone. I thought that was bullshit until Patrick Stewart spun the story of, whoa, what's, I mean, yeah, this is a band I don't know that came in here with an unregistered weapon and yeah. like, you know, that. It's, it's kind of, it's a really good back and forth. Right. I really liked it. Um, unfortunately, though, it, for all the world building that this film does, I don't, I walked out of it without a clear sense of the world, you know, and that's a tricky thing. Um. And and I think this neo-Nazi world is really fascinating. And I'm I'm personally fascinated about it because I I you know I want went not to a neo-Nazi party, but I once went to a skinhead party and me being brown was kind yeah, of Yeah, how'd like that a, go over? It actually went over pretty well. And yep. we, and the thing that was really interesting to me was that I ended up having like a long conversation with some skinheads and like realizing that that I shouldn't just take I shouldn't prejudge these people based on the way they look and what they do. They, you know, they actually have legitimate concerns about 
their world. Now, I don't agree with that 100%. And there's a there's a great film um, by Shane Meadows called This Is England uh, about like the neo-Nazi party in 1980s England and about a little kid who joins the neo-Nazi party. Amazing film. And the cool, the, there's really interesting things that happen there, which is that there's a black guy in the neo-Nazi party, um, you know, and, and at some point like his, but he's in it for the music and he's in it for the, like the kind of the skinhead attitude. Sure. But at some point he has to like confront the racism. So I'm, what I guess I'm saying is like, there's a really interesting world here that I think we don't see a lot of on screen sure. and we don't see a lot of in a really critical way. Um, now, ostensibly, here's one thing is that when we do see it, like a film like this is England or uh romper stomper or um, even this film, it's, you know, ultimately you're not going to, paint neo-Nazis in a gr- in a good light. It's all the film sure. is always going to paint them in a negative light. Um, so, so you're never going to come out on, on, on the, you're only going to come out on one side, but I don't, this film doesn't quite build that world. And, and I don't think it's trying to, I think it's trying to create like an action, like not an action movie, but like a, a tense thriller, within, a thriller. within that universe. Sure. The problem that I, you know, I keep saying is that I, I, I'm unclear of why the thriller happened the way it happened. I'm still sort of a little unclear about that. And maybe it would be cleared up on a repeat viewing. I don't know. But the second thing is I, I also walk away with like a less clear sense of that world. Um, it's, it's again, I, mm-hmm. I always go back to video games because mm-hmm. that's my, my, my bread and butter in my head. But like, Take a, something like this where it's mm. it's setting up a world by not telling you straight up like it's doing the right things. It's not having characters like call each other by each other's names and say, well, this guy's in charge of this and oh, but yeah. like exposition it's just for dropping exposition you thing. right in the middle of it's it. dropping you in the middle of it. But there are there are films and mediums that do that better than this. And one, for instance, I would say is Portal from the video game yeah, Portal. Sure. You yeah, start that, you have no idea what it is. And through your actions and through what you see, it builds the entirety of the world and you're not left with any questions about basically the structure of how the world is exists and the yeah. rules in it. Uh, where this, the, like, you, you're never... Like Portal sort of answers all your whys that you care about by the end of it, where like this, for instance, you're like, well, I, I guess, like, yeah. I'm doing a lot of the leaps myself. There are ways and stories to 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 tell you all this information through the world you've built. Fuck Mad Max. Go back to Mad Max. Yeah. Mad Max built a world. Mad Max built a world purely uh, through non, non dialogue things. I mean, granted they dialogue punched some things up, but like through visuals and just sort of the storytelling of how the script was built. And, and you know, like, look, my art house credentials, you know, like I do love open-ended films that leave you asking questions. Sure. But I, but I, but I feel like these didn't leave you with the right questions asking. This was still like, Kind of these like, were what? more fundamental questions right. as opposed to like philosophically, right? Que- you know, questions exactly. about, about the existence of you know, like of how this movie works. Yep. Um, you know, like like a film like um, like I'm trying to think of another pick and pop film, but like a, you know, like a Straw Dogs kind of asks me uh, makes me ask, like, yeah. or even you know the film we reviewed um, last week or the week before, The Witch. Yeah. Which which you know that open ended leaves this, me with questions. This that, movie didn't leave me with any esoteric questions of any kind. Yeah, it just kind of ends and. Again, though, again, prefacing it with, this is a very, very well-made film. Yes. This is a very masterfully made film. This will, this will be wrapping up into my final thoughts here. I think this is a really interesting filmmaker. And I think uh, what's unique here is that this is a filmmaker that has managed to keep his voice as his budget has grown bigger. He's not just... That's hard. That's hard. And he's not like leaping into like superhero movies, which seems to be the be-all and end-all for a lot of people. Like yes. that's, that's the end game. Come to the dark oh, side. God. But he seems to be interested in making films in, uh, a wor- in worlds that he can keep control of. And he has... He has a particular style of storytelling that he is interested in. And I want to see more of those. I want to see more from this filmmaker. Um, I just think that this film is perhaps not quite uh, a satisfying experience, um, despite all the great things that he has going for it. And it's it's maybe just a case of like another draft or or whatever it is. But but you and I had the same experience. It's not like we're arguing about. Yeah. The, we we both had the same feeling, and we yeah. both come from different you know, approach these things from different ways, mm-hmm. but we both had the same experience. So it's not like, I, you know, but, but again, the film is reviewing very well. It is doing very well uh, critically. 
Um, but I but I wonder if that's just because it's so uniquely nuanced. I think it's getting that's a good final that final thoughts. I'll yeah. go into mine. I think it's getting those like I, I think in the world okay not the world the movie but the world the movie is being released into yeah. with all of these super dumbed down plots yeah. where everything exposition is thrown at you all the time and whatever this feels like a really unique breath of fresh air because it doesn't just explain everything away to you it doesn't just not do the hand wave and oh that's because of this it throws you in a world where it says all right you better be interested enough to follow along or else you're we don't give a shit and that's nice yeah um and the violence thing that we talked about as well right yeah. uh but i do i i i just while the world was cool to me and while it harkened back some stuff in 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 uh in sort of a punk rocky uh, you know old school of me uh it also didn't quite like the world, while very well built, I just don't feel like the. And again, I'm a character guy. The characters themselves were never engaging enough for me to really want to dig in and understand why things worked. They were all very stuck. Right. Uh, and I need, I hmm. need at least one standout character, and I can't think of fucking one in this movie. And that's that. Hmm. I think is probably, and I wanted it to be Patrick Stewart. Of yeah, course, yeah, I did. Yeah. So for all this wonderment, for all of the the I think this movie is is created very well, 90, 95% of it. There's just sort of the keystones that are keeping it from being a solid foundation for me to to fully sort of like recommend it, be like, this movie's fucking awesome. Go see it. I think people should go see it because yeah. it's different and it might strike a different chord in you. Yeah. I think, oh God, I would have loved going into this movie blind. Like not knowing anything about it, I think would have affected me differently. Which is, I knew a little, I knew neo-Nazis, I knew Patrick Stewart, right. I didn't watch a trailer. But I would love it if I didn't even know Patrick Stewart was in it, because then I wonder if the hype wouldn't have knocked me around so much and like, right. whatever. But I don't know. So I, my bottom line is, if you're looking for a, a thriller sort of action movie that's a little bit different, yeah. uh, you you should go see this movie and you should support people trying to make movies like this because it it. It's important as a counterweight and a counterbalance. So yeah, go see. I, I, I want to see more movies like like yeah, because they're only going to get better. Yeah, and the other thing is like I you know like we talk about a superhero problem you know like all your my, superhero problem. But I I am getting like and maybe the pendulum has just swung too far the other way. But I'm just seeing so much you know like there's we're seeing so many bullshit movies that I just I don't even like you know we've had that movie versus film discussion all the time, which I don't even call them movies anymore. But but. But this is something Semantics. like Semantics. This is something that I I want to see more of. I want to see more True. films like this. I want to see more large and the one, you know, I did want to just briefly mention before we go out as well, is like this is being released by A24, um, who just have been killing They them. have. You know, like these are they're releasing them on a pure and all films. Um Do the list of who who A24 has done so far, because I know uh, it, but read it. Uh sorry. Can you pause? Nope. <laughs> Fuck! This is live to tape. Uh, did they do Ex Machina? Ex Machina. Uh, what else did they do? They did Spring Breakers. Spring Breakers. Yeah. Lobster, which I'm gonna go see next. Oh, week. that looks so good. Equals, which is the Drake Dormus new film. Yep. De Palma, Krisha, which is like this low budget film. The Witch. Um, Room. See, Room, movie we both loved. Yeah, I know. Um, no, they've been killing it. Uh, you know, like th this, they're making movies that I want to see. I'm hoping it becomes back to like, again, this is like 13 year old me, but remember New Line Cinema? Yeah, when they were actually, like when Boogie Nights was coming out. But like, even so, like, I, even when I was younger, like, I used to know, like, if I saw that film, that half broke film frame or whatever, like, I'm like, oh, I'll like this movie. Yeah, like, yeah, as yeah. a kid. Yeah, uh, yeah, totally. But now I, I see A24, I'm like, I'm probably going to like this movie yeah, for the most part. They're just making movies that I want to see. So, yeah, hopefully they keep on killing it. They keep doing uh, new and innovative shit. But, but until then, <laughs> Shahir. Where can folks find you? When you cannot, when you can not find me bitching about movies that I love, uh, you can see me online at shahirdowd.com, www.shahirdowd, S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. That has links to my Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff. And all my films are online as well, so you can bitch about my movies. Yeah, do it. I do it every day. It's very <laughs> cathartic. Uh, you can find me and my life and works at Matthew Kroll, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com, or you can find me on Instagram for funny pictures and the like of Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z, or Emperor M-S-K on Twitter. And uh, guys, this has been the only podcast about Green Room. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, next week, oh, it's the big one. Uh, I knew this was coming. It's the big one. I will say, I have not watched the single trailer. Wow. 
Not it's a getting, single, it's but getting, it's getting fucking, fucking hard. Great reviews. No, but it's hard to not watch. Like, I've had a hard time. We're talking about Civil War, by the way, Captain America: Civil War. Because, like, even on Facebook, it's like, like there is a reveal in this movie that's in the trailer, and like, I can't even get away on Facebook. People aren't just posting the trailer; they're posting that. GIF. It's hard. I've been running away from it too. I accidentally clicked on a scene where Spider-Man kicks Falcon, and I was like, "No, no, don't tell me that." Well, yeah. Well, spoiler alert. Here's the thing: uh, Why do I even care? I don't care about superhero movies. You will. Did you see the post I posted on our Facebook this week about why I hate superhero movies? Yeah, but you say that every fucking week. Anyway. Watch- Check it out on our Facebook page. Next, I hate superhero next, movies. <laughs> next week, fun. we're doing the big one, Captain America Civil War. Uh, and yeah, until then, dead Kennedys, take us away. I don't know what's happening. Just get mad. Arr. Get mad with a passion Arr. about something. Uh, I can get mad about superhero movies. And that's not exactly what the punk movement was. I mean, I'm sure I we can we twist it. shut up. No, now. it's fine. Okay. <laughs> not punk, not punk, not punk, not punk.